Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Crew Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm once again joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, um, in what is becoming a more and more football-concentrated segment, the curveball when you were expecting the fastball, I will ask you yet another football question. Your Mac Jones agenda strengthened over the weekend, and your Colts agenda also strengthened over the weekend. How wonderful is it that those two things happened at the same exact time? I mean, obviously it feels good. I was, dude, I can't even tell you the stress I had at the end of that Colts game. Cause this has been the game we've been looking at for weeks, right? It's like the AFC is just a shit show and the Colts needed, they needed, they just need to beat teams that are around them in the standings. And, you know, that was a huge win. And, of course, they gave up a 20-point lead, but MVP Jonathan Taylor coming through with a massive run at the end just to – I'm not a jersey guy. I've got to get a Jonathan Taylor jersey. Like, this dude, the season he's having has just been unbelievable. And I will say Matt Jones actually impressed me more than I thought. I, I thought he was going to throw three interceptions. That was my prediction. I think he ended up throwing two. And they were they were bad interceptions. Like I, he, he's going to be susceptible to that because he's a rookie. But listen, they had no running game, and I thought he made some really good throws. So you can't rely on him to win big games for you. I think that's and he's again he's a rookie. Maybe in the next couple of years he'll get there. I still think he's a game manager, but he can make big throws. And you know, I think New England has built like a really strong team because they have a great run game. They have a good enough quarterback and they have a great defense. So, you know, I, I hate to give Bill Belichick props because I've spent my entire life actively not doing that. But, you know, considering Brady's not there, I think this is probably the best they can do. And to be honest, they held Taylor in check for most of the game. Like he came into the game, you know, I think he was on a 10 touchdown streak. The broadcast said, so he was, you know, on a pretty impressive run, I'd say. And it didn't matter. Like, I think he was at like three yards of carry before that massive touchdown run he had at the end. But that's what having a player like Jonathan Taylor does is that he can break open the game for you. And he made the difference on that play. And now the Colts, you know, I believe they're going to Arizona this weekend, Dylan Hughes on Christmas. How are you liking your Colts chances against the rapidly declining due to injuries, Arizona Cardinals? Yeah. I mean, that was a game, you know, looking at the end of the schedule, it's like, okay, so there's new England, Arizona, Las Vegas, Jacksonville, you win three of those games you're in, like you're basically a lock for the playoffs. I've just been writing off Arizona as a loss because they've been the best team in the league basically all season. But the past few weeks has been bad, man. Like losing to the Rams is one thing. Losing to Detroit. And Detroit, I'll give them credit, is is the probably the best two and a half win team of all time. Like they they've been in a ton of close games. They lost to Baltimore by a 
a, literally a record-breaking field goal. They lost to Minnesota at the very end. Like they could easily be like a four or five win team. So they're not as bad as their record says, but still they killed Arizona. Arizona's running game is kind of iffy. Like they, Kyler Murray has just been struggling lately because they've had a lot of injuries to receivers. Like there's just a lot, a lot going on there. And the Colts are so hot on both sides of the ball. I'm not going to say they're going to win for sure. But, like, I think I'm going to end up putting money on the Colts because, you know, I I, I pulled off a, a bet last week, so now I'm excited and I want to start betting again, which is going to end up being a bad decision. But, I mean, in Arizona, has been, they've lost games at home. Like, it's not like they have a huge home field advantage. So, I don't know. I, I think the Colts have a decent shot. Give me the Colts 24 24- to 17. That's such a basic score. I'm not going with that. That's not on my record pick. I don't know because football's so dumb. But um, Dylan, I think we have two major injuries to discuss this week. First is Anthony Davis. I believe he has suffered an ankle sprain. Let me double check to make sure. So that way I'm not talking out of my ass, but he's going to miss like the next four weeks. He's going to miss Christmas. Um, no, it was a knee injury for AD. I think he suffered that in the Minnesota game we had. And he's going to be out for the next four weeks. Um, Dylan, this the Lakers have already had the season from hell. It might be self-inflicted. I think we would agree it is self-inflicted. But still, you don't want to see a guy like AD. If you're the Lakers, you don't want to see a guy like AD miss that much time. Dude, they are screwed. <laughs> like, it's bad. Like, they were looking bad with AD. Losing AD... This is a team that we've been talking about since the offseason. Doesn't really have inspiring depth. They, I think they've kind of been hit by COVID lately. They've had a bunch of guards and stuff out. It's just like a mess. And if this was 2016, I think it'd be like, oh, LeBron, will just, he'll get them good enough. And then when they're healthy in the playoffs, it'll be fine. But I, don't, I just don't trust LeBron's body at this point. Like, this dude has so many miles on him. This is like a, a Mercedes-Benz. You know, they say Mercedes can go like a million miles. This is like a Mercedes that's like just crossed the 900,000 mark. And it's like, holy shit. Like, we got 900,000 miles out of this car. It's, it's, the end is coming. We still got some gas left in it. You know, we still got some time. But it's... If we push it too hard, that's when it's it could break down. And that's kind of what I worry about for that for the Lakers is like if LeBron has to carry this team, he's he could very well get hurt. And obviously if LeBron's out, there's no discussion about the Lakers anymore. And I mean AD's kind of already had a weird season. And it's of all the superstar trades we've had in, in recent years. I think, and this is including the fact that they've won a championship with him. This may be like the worst return on investment of any of them. And, you know, James Harden could uh, take that crown. We'll have to see how that next tenure uh, finishes out. But like, I I just don't know what, if if you wanted to trade AD, what, what could you even get back? Because the Lakers are like the Lakers are the type of team that would trade for AD, right? Like it's kind of a perfect situation for AD. 
And yet he still comes up small a lot. He still gets hurt. It's like, like just kind of, you know, thinking about teams in the league, it's like, who is going to take a risk on that guy with significant assets when he's going to be your second best player at best. Like he'll be your first best player on occasion, but you can't rely on him to be your, your first best player very often. So it's like, if he's going to get injured and just come up small when they need him, it's like they, they just don't have assets to improve. And that that's, I think the scariest part for this Lakers team is, you know, a couple of years ago, you can talk yourself into, okay, we have LeBron, we have AD. As long as we get enough from everyone else, it's fine. But LeBron and AD, AD being the main focus, you just can't really rely on him anymore. So it's, it's starting to get scary, I think, for the Lakers. It is. It's not good. Um, he wasn't really... AD, this is probably his worst season, God, in forever. And, you know, some of that's not his fault, right? Um, I mean, he's they don't have any spacing anymore. Right. And that's not his fault. I mean, it might be his fault, but I think LeBron holds the majority of the sway in that organization, not 80. Right. I think that's probably safe to assume, but you have guys like, <laughs> like Russell Westbrook on the wing. And then you have Mello and Wayne Ellington spacing for you or Mello and THT who THT has been one of the most disappointing players in the league so far. I think we'll talk more about him when we discuss the Lakers in one of the next two weeks. Cause that it's coming up Dylan. We, put them off for almost the whole season now it's the spacing there is atrocious and he's only taking 45 percent of his shots at the rim right dylan i think we should agree <laughs> those that number should be way higher that number should be like in the 60s damn near because he's such a dominant force around the rim but he's taking 44 percent of his shots from mid-range right now and I don't have the percentages pulled up, but he's not shooting well at all. So maybe this knee injury will be a good like excuse for him to rest and let him take like four weeks off. And maybe his jumper starts falling, but he's just not playing up to, like anywhere near his capabilities right now. And you had him at 15 in the top 100 and we disagreed on that. I had him at 11 right now. He's not even playing like a top 20 guy. <laughs> And you have Anthony Davis on your team to be a top 10 guy, possibly top five. And he's not anywhere near that right now. And to be fair in the sun series, he was probably the best player on the floor when he was healthy, but that was like what three games before he went out. And then he tried to play valiantly in game six and he didn't, you know, he looked like shit, but it's not looking good for 80 and the, the Lakers right now. Yeah. That that's just the weird thing about it is like, he can be your best player and get hurt that same game. And then he's out for a month. It's just such a, he's like such a wild card, man. It's, it's unbelievable. Like he may be the biggest wild card in sports that like I can even think of like for a long time, because he can absolutely be the best player on the floor against any team. Like he can be better than Giannis on any given night. He can be better than KD on any given night. Steph Curry, like he can be better than those guys, you know, in a short, you know, three, four five game stretch in the playoffs or whatever, but he could also get hurt and be out for the next six months or the next six weeks in that same game or the next game. It's just like, and that variance, I think helped the Lakers win the championship a couple of years ago 
but now you're seeing the other the other side of that variance where you're getting all the bad stuff and it's just it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this team like not to look too far ahead but if they lose in like the first or second round of the playoffs it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because i don't know is lebron's contract up after this season i believe after next season okay so that that helps but there's going to have to be some major wholesale changes because LeBron is like, he doesn't have time to sit around and wait. Like he's trying to, he's trying to get that one last title. And right now this is not looking like a good situation to do that. So looking at the Western conference playoff picture right now, Memphis is two games ahead of the Clippers who are 17 and 15. The Lakers are 16 and 16 in the sixth seed. The Nuggets are Nuggets and Mavericks are both 15 and 15. And the Wolves are 15 and 16. They have a two game cushion on two and a half game cushion on the uh, Blazers. And Dylan, there's a real good shot that the Lakers are in the play in again because the Nugget, the Mavericks are going to go through a little cold spell. Luca's in the um, health and safety protocols along with a bunch of other of their guys. So they're probably going to go through a little swoon. But they're going to get Luca back, right? Luca should be back in like a a week, probably. So you'll have that like that surge after he gets back where they go on like a little winning streak. And then the Nuggets are going to get Jamal Murray back at some point. So there's a chance they push into the top six. We'll talk more about the Wolves later. There's a real shot there in the play-in again. And we saw what being in the play-in did, for them, did to them last year. They need to make the playoffs, I'd say. Like they're in a real dangerous spot here because <laughs> I don't see Memphis falling off, right? Memphis has built themselves kind of a nice little cushion here. And I don't really see them going on like a three game losing streak at this point. They might lose a cut. Like they might lose to Oklahoma city when they should beat them, but they'll, you know, they're going to bounce back next game. I bet you. So I, it's going to be real tough stretch for the Lakers. I'll be real curious to see where it goes from here. But the other injury we got to discuss ties into our first team, and I think we'll just talk about this now because I didn't see him much at all this week. Derek Rose <laughs> hurt his ankle. He's going to be out. I think he had surgery on his ankle. He's going to be out for the next eight weeks. <laughs> and much was publicized a couple of weeks ago when Thibodeau took Kemba out of the rotation. Dylan, I think Kemba's got to play now. <laughs> He's going to have to take all those Derek Rose minutes because Derek is one of the most important players for them at this point. It's going to be tough without Derek, and they're not doing particularly great. We'll talk about that in a second, but... <laughs> How do you feel about the Derrick Rose injury? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, I I was watching the Knicks this week, and I didn't realize that Derrick Rose was hurt. And I'm like, Kemba is out there. And it's like, didn't Tom just yank him like two weeks ago? So I was really confused for a little bit. But, you know, I don't want to say – like, I don't think Kemba actually deserved to be taken out of the rotation. Like, I think – that actually just speaks to their guard depth more than anything. If Kemba was on most teams in the league, he would probably still stay in the rotation. Like as bad as the Knicks have been, like they have good guards, you know, that that's something that I think most people can agree on. So he, he's not a bad player. Like he's, I think he's been better this year than we've seen in the past couple of years. Um, you know, not, entirely but like it's been it's not what he used to be but he's been fine and it's you know again it's a it's a good cushion to fall back on like having 
one of your best guards get hurt and then having someone like Kemba Walker to step in and take those minutes is is quite a luxury that most teams aren't going to have. But, you know, as we're going to talk about, it's not going to matter at the end of the day. Like, even Derrick Rose wasn't keeping this team afloat. So, you know, it, it's not going to matter. <laughs> it's not going to matter, but we got to pick our last teams for the last week of the season. So, Dylan... I think I want to throw any Hawks back because Trey Young's not playing. So right now our teams on the good wheel that we have our options are the Lakers, Clippers, or Trailblazers. And the Trailblazers aren't looking necessarily inspiring either. So who would you like to get on the first spin? Uh, I mean, we're just, we, we got to do the Lakers at some point. It's like, you know, I, I'm just taking whatever whatever's left at this point. We've we've already gotten the teams we actually want to talk about, I think. So whatever's left, it's like whatever. Well, while you were doing that, we did not get the Lakers. <laughs> we got the Clippers and the Trailblazers. So okay. this will actually be a pretty interesting week because I haven't watched much of Portland at all. So yeah. That means we have one more spin of the bad wheel and then we have our schedule set for the rest of the year. Unless we, you know, we, we reserve the right to flip flops and teams like we did last year. Pelicans are Pacers, Dylan. I think. Oh my God. <laughs> the two most depressing teams in the league. I would for obviously very different reasons. And we get the new Orleans Pelicans, the less depressing of the two. <laughs> oh boy. Actually, that- let me check to see if Brandon Ingram's hurt because if he's hurt, then we got to throw him back for the Pacers. No, he's not hurt. We're okay. That, that choice is like saying you could either shoot yourself in the head or you could, or you could lay out in the middle of the road on a busy highway. It's like, it's going to be the same result either way. So, you know, whatever gets me there fastest, I guess. Hey, at least, you know, one team has Brandon Ingram. So now we know our schedule for the rest of the year. Um, This week, it's the Clippers, Blazers, and Pelicans. Next week, it's the Hawks, Pacers, and Lakers. So there you go, Dylan. We we know what we're doing for the next two weeks. Um, And then we're going to go back to our regular rotation after that. This this is very exciting. But Dylan, I think we should start with the Knicks. I think that's a good place for us to start. They are currently 14 and 17. Good for 12th in the Eastern Conference. They are... (laughs) They are on the outside, very outside looking in right now. They, this week, they're two and one. They beat the Rockets 116 to 103. They beat, they lost to the Celtics 107 to 114. And they beat the Pistons 105 to 91. They currently have a 0.4, negative 0.4 net rating, 14th on offense, 21st on defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. Dylan, I think it's time for you to take a victory lap on Julius Randle. You kind of called this last year. You're like, I don't know if this is sustainable. You know, you didn't weren't calling him like a fraud, but you were kind of calling him a fraud. And there's reasons for you not to like Julius Randle, but the shooting is taking a major step back. And I think that's part of the part of the reason why he's taking a major step back and they don't move. Just tell me what have you seen with Julius Randle rather than me talking through what your objections are. I mean, my problems last year and really for a couple of years has been, it's not necessarily so much about like, well, I guess it is to do with his game, but his game is built around him being the main guy. And if he's not the main guy, he's just 
it's just a huge drop off in what he's going to give you. And last year, you know, they had a good enough defense and offense at times where they were good enough to make the playoffs. But it's just he's not an efficient enough player for you to be able to build a, a team around him. And, you know, I gave him credit last year because he was he was making threes and he was passing better. And he's always been a pretty good passer, but I think his passing has gotten a lot better. So those two things kind of coalesced into him having the season he had. And I gave him props at the end of the season. I put him on my All-NBA team like he was one of the best forwards in the league. But at the same time, you know, if if you've watched this guy for a long time, you've just watched basketball, it's like you can't build a team around this a player like this. It just doesn't make sense. And this season, I mean, it really started in that Hawks series last year when he just gets completely shut down. Like, if if a, if a team has a good enough defense and smart enough game plan, they can easily take him out of the game because he's not strong enough to really back down really strong defenders in the paint, which, you know, for a big man or really anyone, but paint shots are the best shots you're going to get. And if you get stood up by a defender like DeAndre Hunter, you know, a really strong post defender like that, what, what can he do? He's just going to have to pass to his shooters. So it's like, that's not the, that's not what the best player on a team does. The best player on a team doesn't go three for 10 and pass to a bunch of shooters all game. That's not what the best player does. That's what someone that acts like the best player does that when push comes to shove, he's not actually good enough to carry his team. And we saw in that series that was the Derrick Rose and Alec Burke show. You know, that, that, those guys were the ones that stepped up and made that a series. Julius Randle had nothing to do with it. And really, R.J. Barrett didn't either. And this isn't an R.J. Barrett bashing session. I've, I've grown on Barrett a little bit. I still have my concerns about him. But, you know, Randle has just proven to me that, like, if you are a big man and you're shooting in the low 40%, I mean, that's really bad. Like you should be shooting at, at worst in like the mid forties and really it should be higher than that because like you're supposed to be in the paint as we we're just talking about Anthony Davis. Like if you're going to just settle for a bunch of mid range shots, it, like Ed, that's going to come crumbling down. Like a, a player like cat can maybe get away with it, but even he's going to the rim a bunch, you know, like he knows his size and he takes advantage of that. And Randall, I just, I think last year and kind of the player I was comparing this to is Isaiah Thomas when he had that really good year with the Celtics where I think he averaged like 25 points, which was just like an insane amount of points for, for him. It was like a huge upgrade over any year he's ever had. And I saw that and I was telling Celtics fans, I'm like, this dude, this is not going to happen again. So enjoy it. And of course, a bunch of people were calling me an idiot. And look what happened, you know, and of course, injury was a big part of that. So I'm not going to take too much credit, but like, it's just, you watch basketball long enough. You, you know, who good players are. It doesn't take you long to be able to recognize, you know, who, who is consistently able to do the same things over and over, no matter what is thrown at them. And Isaiah Thomas and Julius Randle were two players where it's like, you know what? It's good. They're having these great seasons, but this is not who they are. Yeah, and Randall, so you brought up Isaiah Thomas. I think I'll have a comparison that you really like in terms of play style. 
we talk about this guy a lot. The guy I'm going to compare him to, right? Like you can't build a team around this guy. You're not going to win. I think the obvious comparison for Julius Randle's play style is Sabonis, right? Like, think about it. They're both, you know, they're both lefties, which helps the comparison. They both need the ball in their hands the whole time. Otherwise, it's not going to work. They can't, like, Sarandos a better shooter than Domas is. And I would say he's probably a better defender, too. But they, like, in general, you would feel that they both just need the ball in their hands to win, right? Like, to be a winning player. And I don't think that you can have the ball in Randall's hand and you be, like, last year, you're right, it was a complete outlier. But this year, it feels like very much like what his stash would be, right? Like he's shooting 42% from the field. Um, I think 35% from three, no, 32% from three <laughs> on five and a half attempts a game. A lot of those off the dribble. And he's a good passer. He turns the ball over a lot too, right? So, and you brought this up last year and I think it was a really good point. And this is why I think I have Sabonis higher on my rankings than I have Randall. Is Randall, it kind of feels like he passes as a last resort. And Sabonis, you know, passes to get the, you know, ball moving. Like, he's really good at finding cutters, et cetera, et cetera. Again, he needs the ball, but not to the extreme lengths that Randall does. So, <laughs> it's just tough to build around a guy like this. And they... They didn't give him a Supermax, which is smart. I don't think he was eligible for the Supermax, but he was eligible for a lot more money than he got. He's making less than Tobias Harris, and I still think I'd rather have Randall over Tobias Harris. So I just don't know how he fits, like if he's your second or third best player. I think it's a concern. I, I just don't know, but I think that... How do you like the Sabonis comparison for him, Dylan? Yeah, it's, it's good, and it's kind of timely because... You know, the Pacers are seemingly seemingly going to make some sort of big trade, at least one. And everyone's talking about breaking up Turner and Sabonis. And I've just always been Team Turner because I think Sabonis is a floor raiser. And so is Randall to some extent. But if you want to win, you're going to take Turner over Sabonis because it's easier to fit him in. The players that take you to the next level are not going to mesh well with either of those guys, really. Unless it's like Steph Curry, you know, or Kevin Durant. Like, it's got to be someone that fits with literally every type of player in the league. Those two guys, uh, breaking news, are very hard to find. So, most of the time, it's going to be, you know, James Harden or Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, someone like that where they need the ball a bunch to work too. If you have James Harden and Julius Randle on the same team, you're fucked. You're like, you, Julius Randle is going to be minimized to a role where he's just not doing what he's best at. And I think that's, that was what I said last year too, is that for, for Randle to be the best version of himself, he has to have the ball. He has to be the main guy. But your team is going to suck if that happens. So it's just, it's like a really interesting balance where to get the best out of that player, he has to make you a worse team than you can be. Like, it's just a really weird thing to figure out. Like, if you're an NBA head coach, where it's like, I don't want this guy to be completely useless, but it's probably better that way because we're going to win more games. And I mean, you could say the same thing about someone like Sabonis, but. I mean, as you mentioned, I think 
I think he he's better because passing is a much more important part of his game, as you talked about, where he's not necessarily looking to score first. He's just looking to make the best play. And Randall, I don't think is the same. I think I agree with that. And another thing I think that's not being talked about at all with Randall, what did we hear like the first couple of weeks of the season? Like, oh, the new foul rules are affecting Trey Young. Oh, the new foul rules are affecting James Harden. We knew those guys were going to adapt in the back of our head, right? And Harden's, we talked about this on the Nets episode, but Harden's been kind of on a little bit of a decline for the last year anyway. So this isn't anything like new with him, the fact that he's a little worse than he was last year. Trey has bounced back in spectacular ways like we kind of all expected, and he's a phenomenal basketball player. Julius Randle, I think, has really been affected by the new foul rules, right? He's not getting as many, like, first of all, the defense can be as physical with him as he was with them, right? He's a very physical player, but that doesn't work as much in today's league when the guy defender can actually be physical with you. And so you see him, you know, throwing up some crazy shots, <laughs> and not getting any kind of foul calls because he's those aren't fouls this year. And I it's good for the game that you know you're not bailing out these guys and allowing defenders to be physical with a physical offensive player. So that's a good development for the league, but that's very bad for Julius Randle. And I those guys have tools in their tool belt, right? To adjust. Harden, not so much because he's not shooting mid-ranges like he probably should be. But Trey has the floater, you know, he has, you know the 30 foot pull up that he can hit like Trey has other elements in his bag that weren't just, you know, snapping your head back on a floater, right? Like that's the beauty of Trey Young's game. And I think it's one reason why we both gravitate to him as a player. I, (laughs) I Randall doesn't have that. Randall has like one gear. It's I'm going to face up. I'm going to jab step and I'm going to drive to the right. If I don't have something, I'm going to kick it to the corner. And that's not like, he's a top, like, if I were to adjust my rankings right now, he's staying in the, the exact same spot at 48. And I don't think that he's going to go up just because he doesn't have another element to his game. And it sucks because he was really fun last year, but now he's the top item on the scouting report. Now teams know him. They're like, okay, we got us. If we want to win this game, we got to stop Julius. And they're still almost 500. You got to give them credit for that. There's, they have enough talent on this team to win 14 games out of 31. But after last year, Dylan, I kind of thought the ceiling for them, like to bring it to like a next question as a whole, I kind of thought their ceiling was a little higher than 14 and 17 after 31 games. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember exactly what I said in our kind of season preview, but I do remember you were a little bit more bullish on the Fournier and, and Kemba Walker additions. And I, I wasn't... I wasn't so big on it. And, you know, I'm about to look at what Fournier's numbers are. Like, Fournier, I think, is definitely – it seems like he's the guy they go to on offense the most when they need points. And I think that's probably a bad sign. (laughs) Okay, so he's shooting 42% this year, 37 from three. You know, like, he's he's a fine player. It's just him and Kemba – I mean, Kemba has had a much better career than Fournier, and he's been a much better player. But right now, I think they're kind of the same type of player where it's like if you're relying on them to do anything outside of hitting like a few big shots maybe towards the end of the game, like your offense is just going to be really bad. 
because they, I mean, Fournier was a bench addition for the Celtics. Like they traded for him to be on their bench. And, you know, that was maybe didn't work out exactly how they hoped, but like, that's the type of role he needs to be in is he's a guy that comes off the bench and is like maybe the third best uh, offensive player on the floor. And Kemba at this point, I mean, we've talked about Kemba a bunch already, but he's just not the same as he was in Charlotte, you know, and, and really the first year in Boston. And, you know, it's just, that's kind of the natural decline to expect from a, a small guard like that. But those, those two additions weren't really super inspiring to me. And I, I like the idea of more space. Like I like the idea of it, but it, when it, when push comes to shove, like, are they really going to win you games? Maybe they'll win you a couple, but I just, I never expected them to, to really change a whole lot for this team. And so far, I mean, I think we've kind of seen that this, this, the offensive ceiling on this team is set by Burks and Rose, like it was last year in the playoffs. And again, I really like both of those guys. I really like them. They were awesome in the playoffs last year. But if those are your two best players or your two most reliable players, like that's a playing team, you know? I mean, the, it's, again, two very good guards. But if that's the best you've got, you're going to get beat by a lot of teams. Yeah, and Burks has been incredible this year. Like He's had one of the strangest NBA careers I can ever remember. And I've been following the league about as long as you have. Maybe, you know, it's it's been about 10 years since I followed the league. And basically, that was when Alec Burks was drafted. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on with his career. He's a starter now. And he was almost out of the league a couple of years ago, it feels like. So he's been great. The Fournier thing. Fournier is a guy to me where if he's your third best option, you're like, okay, I can dig it. If he's your fourth best option, you're like, oh my God, we have a great team, right? On a team with like a distributor. On Denver, I think Fournier would look great right now. Like if he was on a team like Denver, or if he was on a team like Golden State, right? Obviously, Golden State doesn't need a Fournier because they're going to have Clay Thompson coming back, whose <laughs> absolute worst case scenario is being Evan Fournier. So you put him on a team with LeBron, right? I'd really like to see that. I'd really like to see Fournier on a team with LeBron. He's not going to be on a team with LeBron. Like, unless they trade him for Russell Westbrook, which this Knicks uh, front office group right now has shown they're not inclined to, like, make the stupid trades that GMs of Knicks pass would make. (laughs) So, I really want to see him on a team with, like, an actual star. You know, and Julius Randle is a star. But I want to see him on a team with, like, a top 15 player. Like, could you imagine how good he'd be on the Hawks? (laughs) Could you imagine how good he'd be... (laughs) And maybe he's just not that guy because he kind of disappeared last year in Boston too. But I think I'd be more curious to see what would happen if he was on a better team. Um, Going bouncing around the Knicks. We didn't see Toppin this week because he was in um, health and safety. Um, RJ Barrett was in HSPs. Miles McBride had one great game. that was thrown in the HSPs, uh, Quentin Grimes, Kevin Knox, who is out of the rotation, or he's actually playing a little bit, but he is not going to be <laughs> um, playing for them at the moment. RJ Barrett got cleared today when we're recording this, so he'll be back 
you know, sometime soon, but Dylan, I think they're going to make a trade for somebody this year, right? Like this roster, they have the salaries to make a trade. And right now, the way I'm looking at it, I think Fox for Barrett in some form of that, I think that's going to happen because let's face it, Barrett and Julius Randle have very similar games and the Knicks are trying to win. So who are they going to prioritize? They're going to prioritize Randle, who right now is a better player. I wouldn't do it. I want to see Barrett on a team where he's taking like all the shots, right? Like where he's taking, you know, 30 shots a game, but that's not going to happen. So give me, I want to see some variation of that. I want free RJ Barrett because I think the sky's the limit for him. And he's been, Dylan, has RJ Barrett had a good Nick situation the entire time he's been there? No. I mean, this this team is not built for him, and it's not built for him to play with Randall, that's for sure. Because as you mentioned, they have very similar games. And the reason I like Barrett more, and I, I like the idea of Barrett a lot, is that basically his kind of first goal is to try to get to the rim. And players like that almost always succeed. Like, that that was the reason why I really liked Jimmy Butler when he was young, is that he was a guy that just loved getting to the rim. And it's just, those are, those are replicable shots. I think that's what you're looking for in the NBA, are the shots that you can consistently hit. And that's why mid-range shooters, I think, fall out of favor a lot. And... It's mostly mid-range shooters because, I mean, if you hit a certain amount of three-pointers, like, you're, you're set. But mid-range shots are just kind of that wonky, like, in-between area where a lot of it depends on how open you are and a lot of the time you're not going to be open. Players that rely on those shots, I think, are going to see more variance than anything. If you can prove that you can get to the rim consistently, no matter who, you know, you can, you can beat big men, you can beat small guys and you can get to the rim. Those are guys that succeed. And RJ Barrett can do that. And he also is very good at finding weak side shooters, which is a really nice kind of resort. If he gets cut off to the rim, like if he's trying to get to the rim and can't, he can find a weak side shooter. Cause you know, if he can't get to the rim, it's probably because somebody – like the defense collapsed on him and there's two or three guys in the paint. There's going to be someone open. So if you can find those guys, like that's a huge – that's like one of, I think, the building blocks of passing is can you find an open guy when something breaks down? That's a huge, very beneficial kind of talent or skill to have. He has that. And – you know, his shot selection is, I think it's much better than it was last year, which that was one of my biggest problems with him was shot selection. And he's, he's getting there. It's something that he's probably going to develop over time. So I, I still really like the idea of RJ Barrett. He's got the tools to be a very good defender. You know, if, if he can sit down and try and put in effort consistently. So everything is really working in his favor, except for the situation. So if yeah, I agree with you that I don't think Barrett is the one I would trade. It's like, you can probably convince some team that that Randall can be their best player and it can work out. Like if you have to pick between those two, but I, I'm definitely not ready to give up on Barrett. This, 
Knicks team has a lot of young guys that I would like if I was another team, I'd be trying to poach. I'd be trying to poach Obi Toppin, but he's been actually playing for them this year. He just got hit with the health and safety protocols. I don't think you get Emmanuel quickly. He seems like he's kind of untouchable for them. Um, Mitchell Robinson to me, he's kind of taken a step back from last year, but there's always still, you know, potential with that guy. And he was one, like he legitimately deserved all defense last year. Speaking of the defense, sorry for the very, very bad transition there. I'm not a professional. Um, The defense this year was like top five or the defense last year was top five. This year it's like in the twenties. And I think a big part of that is just like, you know, everyone says, oh, three-point shooting against is kind of unsustainable. And we're seeing that with the Knicks this year because last year they were first in the league in three-point percentage against. This year they're 17th, right? They, they're they still really good at rim defense. That's replicable from year to year because they have Noel, they have Robinson. But Dylan, I don't think this team can play defense the way it needs to for an 82-game stretch to uh, like even get back into the top 15. And I don't think, I don't trust their defense at all, frankly speaking. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of surprised last year, their defense ended up being so good and we kind of just chalked it up to Tibbs. And that was probably not a good way of (laughs) analyzing it. I mean, they have, they have some good defensive talent, but like it felt like being a top five defense was just, way more than the sum of their parts. And it's like, you can have a defense that's more than the sum of its parts. And coaching has a huge part in that. If you can get a good team defensive system down and get everyone active, like you can have a good team. It's not hard to force turnovers, you know, like you can watching the teams that are really good at playing passing lanes, like playing passing lanes is, it doesn't really require that much effort. It's really just positioning and kind of staying alert. If you can do something as simple as that, you're going to have a decent defense. And, you know, coaching plays a big role in that. So Tibbs definitely deserves some credit for their defense last year. But just looking at the guys on the floor, it just doesn't make sense for them to have a great defense right now. And, you know, they they lost some guys. Like, you know, going from Reggie Bullock to – Evan Fournier is, is not going to be good for your defense. Going from Alfred Payton to Kemba Walker is not going to be good for your defense. You know, and not that those two guys are all world defenders, but you know, they're they're better than what they have now. So it's just it's just kind of the cracks are kind of being exposed now. And the worst part is that they have an unreliable offense that can't really make up for it. And I think that's really what the problem is, is that their defense is shaky based on the talent and their offense is just hit and miss depending on whether Alec Burks or Derek Rose wants to drop 30 points that night or not. Yeah. And they're just very flawed at this point. I don't, I don't trust them at all. I mean, last big picture question, Dylan, before we move on to the magic, I mean, do you trust them at all? I mean, what percent odds would you give them right now of even making the 10th seed? Let's, I'm going to pull up the standings again real quick because I don't have them right in front of me. So they're a half game behind Atlanta right now, and they're a game behind Toronto. Atlanta's going to jump up the standings, right? It's just inevitable. Trey's missing time right now. They lost to the Magic last night without Trey. Um, I just don't think this team can jump. <laughs> 
<laughs> two teams. Like, I don't think they'll be, they're better than Charlotte. I don't think they're better than Toronto. And I really don't think they're that much worse or that much better than the Pacers. So, Dylan, what percent chance do you give them of making the play in? Mm, I mean, I'll say like, I'll give them like uh, a 25% chance because there's all, I mean, obviously, I guess the injury kind of roulette wheel could hit anybody, including the Knicks, but there's, there's just weird things that happen in an NBA season and they're only like 31 games in. There's still a lot of time for something to happen. And I mean, as you mentioned, there could be a trade of some sort, which could be a good or a bad thing. I don't know. You know, one one guy that you just touched on a little bit I wanted to talk about was Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson is a guy I could see them trading. But Mitchell Robinson, I also think, is like one of their most important players, kind of low-key. If you just watch them, Mitchell Robinson has has stretches of a game where he is unstoppable on both ends. Like, he will get three just insane dunks and then, like, two blocks on the other end and just cause havoc. And obviously, this is not something that he does consistently. Otherwise, he would be one of the best centers in the league. But he is just so good at times, I think. And, and again, it, it's, it's sad that we don't see it more often. And, you know, injuries have played a role in that, too. But if they do make a trade, I'm just interested to see who gets traded because I have a feeling it's going to end up being someone that they shouldn't trade. And that's, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. And, and I actually, you know, tr- I kind of trust the Knicks front office at this point. I mean, as you mentioned, they haven't, they've had opportunities to make dumb trades and they haven't. So that's a promising sign, but looking at the teams ahead of them, like I'm, I will say, I don't trust Washington. Like I think Washington of all the teams in the top 10 seeds is probably the team I trust the least. Like if any team were to just slip majorly, I I think it could be them, but the Hawks are still going to jump in there too. So that that's the tough part is they have to jump the Hawks and someone else. Yeah. And that's, you know, 30 games. It's a lot. Obviously there's still 51 games left for the Knicks and you know, Teams like the Bulls, a lot of games. I should have probably mentioned that earlier. A lot of games have been canceled this week or postponed. I'll say not canceled. Um, the Knicks haven't been hit with this yet, but I'm sure, you know, we'll see the next probably month or so. We'll see some more postponed games and that'll probably make for some fun standing shenanigans at the end of the year. I'll just be curious to see. I mean, the two real questions in front of them are Cleveland and Washington, right? Where does can Cleveland sustain this? The answer is looking like if Mobley and Allen can stay healthy, the answer is looking and Garland can stay healthy. The answer is looking like a, for sure. No, no doubt about it. Yes. Um, I just don't know. Like it's going to be hard for the Knicks. Let's we'll have to see what they do. It'll be real interesting to check on them. Cause the next time we have them, the season will be wrapping up. So I'll be real curious to see where we are 10 weeks from now. Um, the Orlando magic Dylan, they are the 29th best team in the NBA because the two worst teams are in the Eastern Conference right now in Detroit and Orlando. And Orlando is the only, or Detroit's the only team worse than the Magic. Um, that being said, this week, pretty good for the Magic. Um, they did have a game postponed, I believe, on Monday. 
Um, two and two for the week. They lost to the Hawks, one eleven to ninety nine. They lost to the Heat, one fifteen to one hundred five. They beat the Nets, one hundred to ninety three, in a game which nobody played for the Nets. I think David Duke and Kessler Edwards were two of the leading scorers for the Nets. And then it, they beat a really shorthanded Atlanta, one hundred four to ninety eight. They're on a two game winning streak, Dylan. It'll probably get snapped tonight by the... Oh, God, we're going to have to watch another Magic game. Um, they're going to play the Pelicans tonight. And Dylan, all the bright spots on this team are hurt right now. Um, Jalen Suggs injured his thumb in an injury we did not talk about. We don't know when he's coming back. Cole Anthony, I think I saw him in one game this week. He's been a real bright spot for them, but he hasn't been playing. Um, Wendell Carter hurt himself in the game... I believe against Atlanta or Miami, he hurt himself in one of those games. That sucks. RJ Hampton, Jonathan Isaac, still out, obviously. Markel Fultz hasn't played. Um, So really, (laughs) the only bright spot on this team right now is probably, it's probably Franz Wagner, Dylan, and he's been great for a rookie. 15 points a game, five rebounds, three assists, a steal, shooting 44% from the field and 35% from three. And playing great defense too. I mean, Dylan, this guy, <laughs> I bet the Warriors are kicking themselves for not picking this guy in the top seven. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking when I started watching him. I'm like, man, this guy would be awesome for the Warriors. And this is the first time I've watched him because, as I've said before, I have actively not watched the Magic this season. And it has been great for my mental health, I will say. So this week took a hit to the mental health, but you know, you just got to bite that bullet when you're in the podcasting game. So first I've seen from Wagner and man, like I, I kind of remember the talk in the draft about him being like a three and D guy, but he's got scoring chops, man. Like he's, he's a guy that seems very comfortable being like the best scorer on this team. And it hasn't translated to wins which isn't his fault, but I like watching him play. I mean, he's, he's kind of a, does it all a little bit, you know, he's, he can pull up, he can pass, he can get to the rim. Good defender. I mean, he's definitely got tools of being like a, you know, secondary or tertiary ball handler on like a good team. Like, I think he's got a lot of upside and I'm excited to see him with Suggs because I mean, those two with Isaac, like this team in the second half of the season, I think is going to look a lot different than now because, you know, Marco Fultz is out too. Like there's a lot of good players not playing for this team right now. And and there's also some good, good players that are playing. Like I will say this is probably the only team in the league aside from maybe Oklahoma City and Detroit where Chumo Kiki could like put up as many shots as he's been putting up. But hey, I mean, he's he's he had six steals last night against Atlanta. Like he's just he's a he's going to be a good player, and we could see that when he was when he was in college. You know, when he was like he was on that Auburn team that made a run, and of course, you know, he got hurt, and that's why he missed his rookie season. But that's a guy that like on both ends of the floor looked like a really solid player, and. You know, from what we saw last year and this year so far, he's looked pretty, pretty good. I mean, he's definitely not, he's definitely playing like in a bigger role than he should be. Like he's, he's definitely not a guy that should be getting like the second most shots on a team. 
but he's he's good. Like he's he's going to be a good player. He's going to be a lot better when they have um, these guards get healthy again. So, you know, those are kind of the top two guys that stood out to me this week. And I mean, I, I like what I see. I mean, Chuma is one of my favorite players in the league. I I really can't wait for them to get healthy again because, yeah, they suck. But there's a lot of young talent on this team that I really want to see play. Like, I want to see Cole Anthony play. We only saw one game from him, or I only saw one game from him, and he was absolute trash in that game. <laughs> he just was. Like, he wasn't good at all in that game. And he's, you know, missed the last couple of games of the ankle injury. Um, Wendell Carter, you know, I hope he gets well soon. I hope that he's playing again this year because the numbers he's putting up, 12 points a game, on 50% from the field, 34% from three. He's getting 10 rebounds a game. Um, not doing much in terms of blocks and steals, but he is playing with Bamba a lot, who I also want to see because Bamba, I believe, will be a restricted free agent this summer uh, if the Magic, you know, extend him the qualifying offer. And I'll just, I'm real curious to see, like, I haven't caught a Jalen Suggs game at all. And I want to see him play. You know, I was really high on him in college. And... You know, they're, <laughs> I'll say right now, this team has some of the funniest names playing for it. Some teams, you know, went with the established vet route to replace their HSP guys, right? Like the Celtics signed Joe Johnson yesterday, um, who hit a bucket at 40 years old. Just incredible. Gotta love Joe Johnson. ISO Joe. Um, the Magic have signed guys named Hassani Gravette. I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure I butchered that. Um, Tim Frazier, BJ Johnson. Aleem Ford, Freddie Gillespie, who I remember from the Raptors last year, Admiral Schofield, my favorite name in the whole league. And you're giving these guys like, I love it because one of the best things about the process Sixers was that they gave a bunch of guys who probably wouldn't have had a chance in the league chances to play. And obviously these guys are all on 10 day contracts. So when the, um, the guys that are on the health and safety protocols come off, they'll go back to the G league, but it's good for them to get NBA minutes. And I, I, you know, I want to say that before I talk about Wagner, because it's really like, yeah, it sucks that the stars aren't playing. Right. But it's really cool that we're seeing a lot of young guys. I think the majority of the replacement players signed have been from the G league. And I think that's, you know, really good for the G league because they need all the positive momentum they can get. And it's just really good (laughs) because It'll give these guys shots and maybe a team in the summer will be like, hey, I liked what you did for Orlando. Hey, I liked what you did for Brooklyn. Hey, I liked what you did for, you know, wh- whatever team you want to throw out there. It, it'll be good for them. But Wagner, <laughs> the way people are talking about Wagner in the draft, I thought he was just going to be three and D. This dude is running pick and rolls. Like, I did not expect that at all. Like, I don't think there's any scoring <laughs> touch off the dribble, I'll say. But catch and shoot, he's pretty good. Um, cutting, he's pretty good. He's got a really good feel for the game. And the defense is probably a little overrated. But once he grows into his you know, game and into his frame, I think he'll be a really, really solid defensive player for years to come. And the Magic might have gotten a steal at the eighth pick because Marte was never going to be a guy for them. right? They were never going to take Davion Mitchell. Um, Zaire Williams has hardly played in Memphis. I'm trying to think of who was else is picked after him. Book Knight, yeah, you could have argued Book Knight, but we haven't seen anything from him. He's been wander, he's been in the G League so far. Um, who was the, Primo? I don't think there was any chance the Magic were taking him. And then Moody, you could argue they taken Moody, but Dylan, they can't be like getting Wagner 
and Suggs in the same top 10 might go down as like one of the best drafts in a while. Yeah. And I think when that happened, everyone was a little bit excited because I mean, getting Suggs in general was like pretty surprising, at least to me. And I think some, I think a lot of people expected Suggs to go three and the magic were going to be happy either way. And I, I saw some magic fans saying that, that they, they were expecting Scotty Barnes and they were happy with that. But they were only expecting that because they thought Suggs was going to go above them. So when Suggs dropped, it's like, man, okay, sure. We'll take the guy that was just uh, incredible in the NCAA tournament. You know, like, you, you're never going to complain about that. And he's he's honestly one of my favorite guard prospects, like, in a long time. Like, I loved watching him play. He's so smooth. Like, so smooth, man. A lot of these guards are reckless and kind of violent. Like, John Morant isn't necessarily reckless. Well, he's he is reckless. I wouldn't call him violent, but he's, like, very herky-jerky. You know what I mean? Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with. Like, that's it's not a complaint. That's a lot of guards are like that. But Suggs is just so smooth, man. Like, he'll run down the court at, like, 100 miles an hour. And it looks like he's like not even moving his legs. Like he's just so smooth. Like he's very balanced. And I think playing football, you know, we've, we've talked about this with Anthony Edwards that I think playing football really helps some of these basketball players with, with some stuff with, with Anthony Edwards, it's about taking contact with Jalen Suggs. I think it's about balance because you're a quarterback. You need to stay on balance to make throws. You're going to be running and throwing on the run. Like, you got to have good good balance, good core strength, stuff like that. And I think that's really, really translated for basketball. And, I mean, that, that kid can do it all. So, pairing him with Wagner and, you know, I have a feeling Fultz is going to end up being traded at some point uh, just because Cole Anthony's kind of come on as well. But Or maybe it's Cole Anthony. I don't know. But, you know, pairing, those, pairing Wagner and Suggs with Isaac and, you know, maybe – Wendell Carter continues to improve. Like, again, I think by the end of the season, this Magic team is going to be a team that we're actually excited to watch. Whereas right now, it's kind of like, oh, yay, we get to watch, you know, Tim Frazier. Like, I didn't even know Tim Frazier was on this team until I looked at the box score. I'm like, is that Tim Frazier? I had no idea he was still in the league. And I, I like Tim Frazier. I like Tim Frazier, but, you know, he's not necessarily the guy you're you're pulling up a seat to watch. So, uh, it, it's definitely going to be fun to watch them in a few months, but you know, for now it is kind of fun to watch some of these guys that you'll never see. And I will say my first, imp- not to say my first impression, but watching Admiral Schofield this week, I just, I'm like, this dude just needs to play linebacker. Like he should not be playing basketball. He's just massive, man. Like he's always, he's always bigger than I expect, even though I've seen him before. Like every time I see him, he's just like, Oh my, I just forget how massive he is. And to be named Admiral Schofield, it makes complete sense that he's just an absolute unit of a human being. But I just really want to see like him and Darius Leonard on the field at the same time, trying to blow up the run. Like I I need to see that. He does have a body built for football. I did not realize he was 6'5", 241. Um, It's going to be really cool to see, you know, I bet you some of these guys are playing so well. I bet you that they stick around, right? Like, I think, I feel like he isn't a replacement player, but David Duke up in Brooklyn, right? Like just to do a real side 
track session here. I watched the uh, Magic versus Nets game, and David Dukes really stood out, right? And one of the, the most unfortunate name in the history of basketball. I don't think there is a close second. Um, but don't let that take away from his basketball ability because that dude can hoop. And he did a really good job against the Magic, and I think he's going to get a chance. This is doing – this is really good for basketball. It sucks right now, but it's going to be good because it'll give guys that didn't have a chance a chance to play in the big leagues. So it sucks that we talked more about big picture stuff than the actual Magic, but there's not much to talk about. I saw one Terrence Ross game. I saw one. <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot on this roster. Like, I gave all of my Robin Lopez thoughts last year. And Robin Lopez hasn't changed the lake. Gary Harris, we already know how I feel about him. It's just not much on this roster worth discussing discussing at the moment. And I'll, I want to see what happens later in the year. But Dylan, do you have any last magic thoughts? Or are we ready to move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves? We're more than ready, I would say. <laughs> Shout out to Franz Wagner. Um, free Franz Wagner. No, I'm just kidding. He's It's way too early in his career to be saying free Franz Wagner. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Dylan... 15 and 16, good for ninth in the Western Conference. Their last week was pretty good week for the Wolves. They beat the Nuggets 124 to 107 in a game where Anthony Edwards went apeshit. Um, they beat the Lakers 110 to 92 in a game where Cat went apeshit. They beat the Mavs 111 to 105, and then they lost to the Mavs last night or on Tuesday night 114 to 102. Dylan. Anthony Edwards went into the health and safety protocols after the uh, Nuggets game. But so I'm curious, which Nuggets game or which Wolves games did you watch this week? So this is this was a as we texted about throughout the week, this is just uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to give us a pat on the back for what we've done so far, because this has been a tough week for both of us to get stuff done. Um, so I watched the Lakers and the first Dallas game. So both wins. I watched the Nuggets game and the Lakers game. So we both watched the Lakers game. I will say, since you didn't catch Ant in that game, he was a flamethrower. He made 10 threes. He, it just felt like he wasn't missing at all when he shot. But you haven't seen any Anthony Edwards at all. Am I correct in assuming that? Um, I thought he played in the um, maybe not. I thought he played in one of these games, but I guess I'm looking at the box because I guess he didn't. Yeah, he's been in the health and safety protocol since last Friday. So I, they put him in there. It sucks because Edwards is one of the best young players in the league. And he's, you know, he's really playing great this year, but there's not much to say about him. But I think, Dylan, right now, the topic for the Wolves is Carl, Carl Anthony Towns. He won Western Conference Player of the Week last week. He was incredible against the Lakers. And I think we're starting to see the aggressive cat we always wanted to see, right? Like, I need the ball. Give me the ball. And against the Lakers, he just absolutely tore Anthony Davis apart before AD went out for the game. Like, he was going right into his chest, right? Like, Dylan, would you agree in that game, Cat totally dominated from the inside more than from the outside? Oh, yeah. I mean, he – dude, you could tell. and It was like a national TV game. He was going up against the Lakers. Like, you could tell he was – he really wanted to show up. Like, he was very fiery, you know. And he's a guy that he can get emotional. And usually that's to his downfall. I would say mostly with the complaining to the refs, which – He's gotten better with it, but man, like it, it really sucks. I, 
I can't watch LeBron, Luka, and Cat anymore without shaking my head at least a little bit because of how much they complain to the refs. It's really frustrating as a fan. Uh, and it also hurts their team because a lot of times they don't get back on defense. But you can tell he was he really wanted to win that game. And yeah, he went at him, man. Like he was you could tell he had something to prove. I think he was kind of the whole team did really. I mean, they're like Pat Bev was, you know, doing his his old thing, uh, his antics, which you know, I, I used to not like, but I actually, it's starting to grow on me a little bit just because it's kind of funny to watch. And, you know, it fires it fires the team up. Like, if you think about Pat Bev, he really hasn't played on bad teams. And I think part of that, like, I think he plays a role in that. Like, he fires his teammates up by his effort and his antics and all that. And he just is always on teams that compete because of that. And... I mean, this this team is just fun. It, it's definitely built around Cat. And I think Anthony, we talked about this earlier in the season, that Anthony Edwards wants to be the main guy, and he definitely shouldn't. As good as he is, this team is going to be best when Cat is the featured guy. And I mean, we kind of saw it this week with, with Edwards not out there, that, you know, they, they go to Cat a lot. And he... He seems ready to prove that he's not just like some second or third tier big man. Like he's up there at the top. Yeah. And right now he's averaging 24.5 points a game, 9.1 rebounds, 3.6 assists, a block and a steal. And right now I didn't read their defense like I've been doing with the other team. Right now they're 22nd in offense, but they're 11th on defense, which is not something we thought I thought we'd hear going into the year. And that's not all to do with Cat, but it's finally about the Wolves finding a way to play defense around Cat and having like just a good system around him because he's such a transcendent offensive player. He's one of those guys where you have to be like, okay, we're finding a way to make this work around you, Carl. You, we need you to be dominant on offense. And when he's going into the chest of Anthony Davis, screaming up and down the court, like no one's, he's too small for me. That's a really good sign for them because they just, <laughs> that's the kind of big guy they need. Like I feel like right now, I'm not going to say he's the best. He's the best offensive center, not named Jokic in the league. Actually not named Jokic and Embiid. It's not really close. <laughs> and he's closer to them then any other sender is closer to him, if that makes sense. Like, just the things he can do out there, he is an amazing passer. Like, the dude, he's not Jokic, right? No one's Jokic. I'd say he's the best that's not Jokic right now. And I don't really think, again, I don't really think it's close. The dude can do everything you want on offense. He hit a step back. <laughs> he's hitting step backs out there. He's seven feet tall, and he's kind of lumbering, but he's hitting step backs, and he's just, I mean, Dylan... Am I crazy for saying he's the best offensive center not named Jokic or Embiid? No. I mean, I, I've kind of thought that for years now. Like, really the past few years, the center, like, kind of Mount Rushmore, I would say, has been uh, Embiid, Jokic, Cat, and Gobert. And it's really starting to shake out where it's like, okay, we know Jokic is the best and Embiid is second. After that, it's like, it's kind of gotten interesting. It's like, okay, can we throw Bam into the discussion a little bit? Is DeAndre Ayton getting in there? Like there's, there's been some new guys that have kind of entered the race and, and we've almost kind of forgotten about Cat, you know? And 
for good reason, because Minnesota is just a, has been a mostly a very forgettable team. And I blame Towns in part for that because, man, like I think the whole Jimmy Butler situation there really kind of gave us a look into who Cat and Wiggins at least were at that time, where it's like Jimmy Butler has – he proved in Chicago, like what kind of guy he is, what kind of player. He's just a player that wants to win. He doesn't care if he's going to rub people the wrong way. He gets to Minnesota. He takes them from being an embarrassment of a team to a fringe playoff team. And, you know, they make the playoffs that year. And then, you know, you have the stuff where it's like, oh, they were they were fighting in, in training camp and Butler was playing with the backups and beating the starters. And it's like, man, are Wiggins and Cat just like not meant to be top tier talents? Like, are they just going to are they ever going to live up to their potential? Because Jimmy Butler is a guy that he forces you to, to reach your potential. You know, you have no option but being as good as he is or trying to. Basically, we saw it in Philadelphia. I mean, he he carried them and almost, you know, they almost beat the the champions in that series with him. Then he goes to Miami. They make the finals. I mean, he has been really good for a lot of their young players. And it's like, man, you look at Cat and Wiggins. It's like, man, like what, what could they be? If they're not going to, if, if Jimmy Butler can't get it out of them, what the hell is. And, you know, we've seen Wiggins has gone to golden state and he's been awesome. They've had a really good influence on him. So now it's just kind of cat sitting there by himself. And it's like, okay, what what is Cat going to do? Is is he going to be a guy that steps up to the plate and does it on his own? Is he going to be the guy that brings up others up, or does he need someone to bring him up? And as soon as as soon as they brought Finch in last year, I think we started to see that maybe now he's finally going to start to kind of take that next step. And just some of the stuff he's done on offense, he's been a good offensive player his whole career. And shooting has been a huge part of that. But I think in I think with Finch coming in, they have really opened things up and they've done some unique things. And it's kind of empowered Towns to just be a very well-rounded offensive player. And, I mean, we're seeing all that kind of coalesce this year now where it's like this dude is – he could very easily score like 30 points a night if he was given more shots. You know, like he has – that kind of talent to be that level of score. I mean, he is just an unbelievable shooter. He, I mean, as we're talking about this Lakers game, if he wants to go at someone in the paint, he can do it and win. Like he's, he's, he's really, really good. And he's definitely, I would say the third best offensive center behind those guys. But like, you could start having discussions of like best offensive players in the league. Like, I think he's, you know, not top three, but like you could make an argument that he's like moving up that list. We could do that sometime. That sounds like a fun idea for a pod. But I think that going back to like looking through the entirety of his Minnesota tenure, right? He's always had coaches that don't know how to optimize him, right? I don't know if he was there for Flip Saunders. I don't know if Flip Sa- Flip passed before um, Cat took the floor. I'll look that up. But. He had Flip Saunders, Sam Mitchell, who is no one's idea of, you know, offensive genius. He had Tom Thibodeau, who 
is very smart offensive coach, a lot smarter than you give him credit for, but I don't think he knew how to optimize Cat, and plus he signed Jimmy and Taj and Jeff Teague, and that team just made no sense. And then you go out of that era after they trade um, Jimmy to Philadelphia for Covington and Sarich, and you have Ryan Saunders around, and that team just doesn't make any sense. And they trade Covington to Houston, and then that kind of you know blows up from there. They get the first overall pick in 2020, and they get Anthony Edwards. And they trade Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell, who has been very, very underratedly good this year, despite what his percentages say. And I think that having Finch plus players that make sense around Cat was the difference, right? Like, what else can you say is different about this Minnesota team other than Finch and maybe Edwards, right? There's just been like a cultural and total shift in Minnesota. And I think that that's, you know, it's been very underplayed, if you will, as just how good they've been, right? And they are, they're the ninth seed. And the way the standings are currently shaping out, I don't see any way they miss the play-in, right? Sacramento is a fucking hot mess right now. Portland is also a very hot mess, and I will be very interested to dig into why they're a hot mess. So Minnesota is more stable than the Blazers and Kings, which one of those teams is plausible. But did you see them being more stable than the Blazers coming into the year? I I mean, (laughs) how could you have, right? I think we both predicted the Blazers to at least be fighting for the playoffs, and right now... I think I was higher on the Blazers than you actually, which I was a little shocked by, but right now the, the wolves are, they're looking at, they're in the driver's seat for a playing spot. Yeah. And you know, this is something we saw coming. I mean, after the end of last season, it's like this team is, is intriguing. You know, there's, there's pieces there and they didn't make a ton of moves. Like I still think the, the Rubio for Torian Prince is still the weirdest trade I've ever seen in NBA history. And it's worked out well for the Cavs. That's for sure. Rubio has been very good for them. Uh, they just made some kind of odd moves. You know, they, they trade, um, what the hell, uh, Culver. They trade Jarrett Culver, which uh, was kind of an interesting move. It made sense. Like he, and it's their fault that he sucked for them. It's their fault. But it's Ryan Saunders' fault. But they get, you know, they get Pat Bev back, and and Pat Bev has been, uh, I mean, definitely he was their biggest offseason addition. No offense to Torian Prince or anything, but you know, he's he's been huge for them, and I, I think the culture shift thing is definitely a huge part of it. And also, just kind of recognizing that they have more talent, like you know, Anthony Edwards being better, Cap being better, Russell being better. And then getting Pat Bev in there, I mean, this is a team that's that's it, got some pieces, man. Like, I don't, I don't mind their bench at all. Like McDaniel's, I think is, I don't know what we expected out of him on offense, but I, I he comes through when they need him. Like he'll hit a he'll hit a three point shot or something like that when it when they kind of need it. So still love him. Uh, Noel has been pretty good at times. Like he's he's a guy we kind of talked about a little bit last year but didn't do a ton. Um, so it's good to see him, you know, very sad that Josh Okogie has been relegated to, to hype man on the bench, but I can't say I'm too surprised about that. 
And then obviously the best backup center in the league, Nas Reed, uh, coming through. Which, by the way, I I don't remember which Mavs game it was because I watched the highlights of the other one. But he threw down just a sick dunk. I, I just love Nas Reed, man. I just love the guy. But like this is this is just a team that has talent, and it's like they just needed kind of some a little bit of reshuffling with the roster, and then uh, you know a good coach in there. And, and of course, they have Beasley, too, which I didn't even talk about, who, you know, has, has been underwhelming, I think, from where he was when they first got him. But he's still a good player. Like, they have good pieces. They have good talent. And, yeah, like, they're definitely a better bet for the playoffs than Portland right now and any other team really on the bottom of the West, unless the Rockets just reel off another, you know, huge win streak. Who knows? But I, I, I like I think. Do you realize who is the 11th seed in the Western Conference right now, Dylan Hughes? Is it the Rockets? It is not the Rockets. It is the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, that's right. They've been on a run lately. I saw earlier that they they have like a neutral net rating now. And and like I, I was looking at cleaning the glass earlier. And let's see. Yeah, they have the best offense in the league in the past two weeks. So I, I don't know what the hell is going on, but, you know, we uh, we doubted San Antonio when we talked about them, whatever, like two months ago at this point. But hey, man, they they never die. They never die. I don't think it's possible for them to be bad. Um, I want to talk first of all, Russell. <laughs> I'm on cleaning the glass, and his differential numbers are going to shock you. They are 19 points better. When he's on the floor, including an astounding 14.5 points better on defense when he's better, when he's out on the floor, which Dylan, I'm sure you think that's a typo. I assure you he's played 852 minutes this year there. It's not a typo. He's been really good for them on both sides. And he's kind of like the wily vet now, right? Like for years, the knock on Russell was that he always shoots. And to be fair, he's still putting them up there. He's still averaging, let's see, how many field? 16.7 field goal attempts, and half of those are from three. And he's only making 32% of his threes right now. But 6.5 assists, and it feels like he should average more. Like, he's a really good ball mover for this team. 6.5 assists to 2.6 turnovers a game. I mean, if he can start making some of his threes, he's going to be like, like, he's a real impact player right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think Beverly, again, was a huge addition for them because it helped Russell. Because they were kind of – like, he's just not a natural point guard. He's not a natural point guard, even though he's a good passer. He's not a natural point guard. He's he's just a shoot-first type of guy. And the building building your team around him – not around him, but, like, fitting him into a team where he's not a point guard and he's more of a shooting guard – man, you are going to really see a lot of benefit out of that. Because, like, as much as we want to, you know, like, he's been underwhelming for his career. Like, being the second overall pick, he's not – he's probably not ever going to be what – he's not probably not ever going to live up to that, I guess is the way to say it, even though he's been very productive in his career. But he's – if you keep him in a role like this where – not only is he an off-ball guard, but he's also playing with two really good scores in Anthony Edwards and Towns that takes a lot of pressure off him and gives him a lot more space. 
I mean, he's just, he, he's in a situation where like he, it's really hard for him to fail. Like, unless he just miss starts missing a bunch of threes, which there's really no reason to think that's going to happen. Like he's just set for, I don't know, three, four, five, like wide open three point looks every single game. And he's like, if you really look around the league, he's probably one of the, like he's probably one of the highest scoring seal, uh, highest ceiling scorers we have. Like he's a guy that could, if he puts up sixty points, it's like, oh yeah, I could see that. Because like I don't know what his career high is, but he's had a lot of like high scoring games. So I mean, putting him in that role, I think has been an underrated. He scored fifty two points two years ago. Like that's a guy. Like he can score fifty points. You know. And this is a role where you give him 15 or 20 three-point shots in a game because if that's just how the defense crumbles and he gets a bunch of open looks, he's going to kill you. And again, like you have to bite your – or you have to take your medicine somewhere with this team because it's either you sell out on Cat and he's going to – if you sell out on Cat, he's going to pass to Edwards or Russell – and if you sell out on on uh, Edwards, he's going to give the ball to one of those two guys. Like you have to pick your poison, and I think Russell out of those three is going to benefit the most from that. And I think so far this season we've kind of seen that. And I don't know how to explain the defensive numbers. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> it, it's I, just saw- I think it's just effort because yeah. like you no know, one and maybe you probably noticed this. And this is offense, not defense. But I think it. I think it it just kind of shows the character of this team. They, if there's like a dead ball, they, they're getting the ball in the sideline and throwing it in as soon as possible. Like they, I, I have never seen a team do it as consistently as them. Like there's a lot of teams where they'll notice, like they have a good matchup down the floor. It's like, give me the ball ref real quick. So we can go get, go get points here. They do it like every single time there's a dead ball. And I have never seen that with the team. And I think that just kind of shows the character of this team that it's like they they want to get get on the floor and go all the time, and if like a lot of times the if you have a really fast paced offense, you're going to set the pace for the whole game, and the if the other team is going to play as fast as the Timberwolves are, they're going to force a lot of turnovers. They're going to make teams make a lot of mistakes. So I think it just kind of again, I think Finch has been such an amazing addition to this team. And, you know, we don't have to talk about how it happens and the fact that it was the middle of the season and that he got hired like two days after Saunders got fired. Like we can put that in the past. It's been a great addition for them. It really has been. Um, I want to shout out Jared Vanderbilt. That dude plays hard all the time. And first to answer your, um, your speed inbound thing. I don't know how else to describe it. That's like the most Kyle Lowry thing you can do. And Patrick Beverly is like one of the kings of that too. Like yeah. he is really good at like, okay, we have an advantage. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Come on, give me the ball. And you see it as one of those things. I'm glad you pointed that out because it's one of my favorite things. A smart team does is just, okay, we have an advantage here if we get into our offense quicker. So let's go ahead and get the ball inbounds and let's, we'll worry about it after that. Um, Vanderbilt, (laughs) this dude brings it on both sides. He is just a bundle of energy and it's exactly what this Wolves team needs. And to bring it back to cat, like 
this is going to be complimenting Vanderbilt, but also Cat. One of the beauties of Cat is that you can have him as a five, you know, spacing out to three and having players like Jared Vanderbilt, who normally would be, you know, there's a good chance that Jared Vanderbilt was on like 25 other teams. He probably wouldn't play because he doesn't make sense with, you know, their lineup constructions, right? Because they don't have a stretch five like cat and to call cat a stretch five is an insult to cat, but you get where I'm coming from, where he's so such a good shooter that you can have cat <laughs> outside the three point line and be like, okay, Jared, you're going to eat inside. And that's exactly what's happening because Jared Vanderbilt is totally exploiting the space inside created by Carl Anthony Towns, created by Edwards, Russell, you know, Beasley when he's, you know, Beasley is, but you, like you said, very underwhelming is probably a very nice way to put it. <laughs> he has not been good this year at all. Um, you have those guys spacing for you on the perimeter. It allows a guy like Jared Vanderbilt to play and make a huge impact for your team. And so I hope you, I think Jared Vanderbilt's, I think he signed a three year, $12 million contract. He and Lou Dort might be on the best contracts in the league right now. Like those two, because it's just remarkable what Vanderbilt has been able to do. And we, he was kind of an afterthought after last year. We're like, okay, all in on McDaniels, all in on McDaniels. And McDaniels is fine. He's also 20. Give him some time to grow into his game and have Vanderbilt take the majority of the pressure off McDaniels. And I think it's, they have a really good setup right now at the four, which, whereas coming into the year, I thought that was like their one spot of like desperate upgrade. Yeah, that was that was the area we were worried about. And I think that's why they were really involved in like the Ben Simmons conversations, because it's like, OK, you can plug Ben Simmons at the four and and that's going to be a really lethal team on both ends. But definitely the way things have happened now, like shout out to uh, to Maury for sitting on his hands because he's a, I, the Tim rules I'm imagining are dropping out. You know, a lot of a lot of teams that were interested earlier probably aren't so much now, but that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah, I mean, McDaniels and Vanderbilt are kind of similar in like who they are as players, I would say. I would say Vanderbilt is definitely more of like the active guy and he's also older, so he's got some more experience. But yeah, he really is a great fit. And, and he's someone we talked about last year that we liked and you liked him more than me, but he's definitely grown on me since then just for his activity. And, you know, we were just talking about all the scoring on this team, like having him and Beverly, I think is a really nice balance where you can have those three like top heavy scores on the floor. And then you can also have the high effort energy guys that can like hit open shots and cut, you know, that that's just a really nice balance to their offense. And like this, this Lakers game, I love the score sheet for Vanderbilt. So he plays 31 minutes. He's got four points, 16 rebounds, three steals, two blocks. I mean, that, that, like, you love that, you know, that that's just a great stat line from someone that like, he doesn't, he doesn't care about scoring at all. He's, he's going to take shots and they're there, but this dude's trying to get rebounds. He's playing his ass off on defense. He's like kind of setting the tone. And yeah, I agree. Like, I think they're fine at the four, like Vanderbilt, is if you want to compare him to other players around the league, yeah, he sucks, you know, compared to other starting fours. Like, just as you mentioned, if you put him on a bunch of other teams, he's not playing. But he is a great fit for this team. Just he he fulfills that role. Like, it really – it talked about so much, but it's so important to be able to fulfill a role. And he does that for this team. And it's I think it's definitely been an underrated part of 
their success and definitely their success on defense. Definitely is the case. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else on the Wolves, Dylan, unless you have any last like parting thoughts on the Wolves before we wrap for the day. I'm good, man. I think I think we said what needed to be said. I agree. So that is the power hour for this week. Dylan, we made it. Um, we both had a lot of stuff going on this week. But we, hopefully you guys like this week's power hour. Um, we had some stuff going on in our each of our lives. So we did our best this week. I think we put out a good show on um, time for the plugs. No pressure. Finding happiness in a fear driven world. Folks, it's Christmas time. I'm going to tell Santa to put you on the naughty list. If you don't buy no pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world. Dylan, I know that wasn't probably my best, but it also definitely wasn't my worst. I mean, you don't want to be on the naughty list. Okay. Like imagine waking up Christmas morning and, you know, I'm really happy that I still live with my parents because I can like, there's like, I don't have to do anything for Christmas. It's just there. You know, that's, that's one of the underrated things about being an adult is like, you actually have to do all this stuff. Now you're so used to waking up and things are just there for you. And when you're an adult, it's like, Oh my gosh, I actually have to do this on my own now. And, you know, living with my parents, I haven't had to completely accept that reality yet. And there's a beautiful Christmas tree downstairs with presents underneath it. And I don't have to worry about it, but we still have Santa coming. Right. And if I woke up Christmas morning and I found out that Santa put me on the naughty list for not spending a mere $10, which by the way, I'm thinking about dropping soon because uh, I feel like it's maybe a little bit overpriced, just my opinion on it. But um, you know, it would be a real tragedy to miss out on, on Santa's gifts for not purchasing my book. So, you know, people, people can take that risk. They've been taking the risk and there's been havoc wreaked. I don't know if that's the right wreck wreaked, wrecked. I think wreaked. Okay. The havoc has been wreaked by Alex Burr on, on businesses and people worldwide for not purchasing the book and it's going to continue. So just make it easy on yourself. Have I been placed on several FBI most wanted lists? Yes. Will I stop? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I have, we got other stuff um, on the network. Um, Star Girl City Cinema will be back with Moneyball, one of the most beloved movies of the 2010s. Uh, Bryce Shaddy is joining Zach on that. That'll be fun. Um, Lynn Sanity, week 15. Fantasy football playoffs still in. I know your team didn't make it, but I got Ronald Jones somehow. I'm I'm pumped. <laughs> was he a free agent? He was. Wow. I got That's Ronald Jones. So I'm looking. I'm trying to win the fantasy championship this year. And if I win, it's a win for the power hour. So let's go. Um, I'm trying to think what else do we got to plug. Oh, Divine Rhyme. I was. I don't know why I blanked on that. Um, you guys did the song draft, right? So, um, you know, I, I think Will is, is, uh, he's, he's had some stuff come up. So unfortunately that's been pushed back. I'm hoping we can do it early next week. Um, but we will keep, we'll, we'll give an update when that, when that comes around. You have until next Friday, sir. <laughs> hey man, listen, we set the rules. Okay. We can, we can do an early 2022 look back if we want. So I don't want to hear it. 
Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But make sure you check out that episode of the divine rhyme when it comes out and make sure you listen to the last episode of the divine rhyme. That was glorious. You guys did a great job on that one. So yeah, that's about everything I have for today. Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.